All right. Um, thank you guys for having me again. Um, I love uh, hearing about Seven Rivers Villages Church. Uh, my dad planted a church in Central Florida. Uh, I grew up doing what Paul did um, in the back with the laptop. Uh, every time I would miss a slide, everyone would stare back at me and give me <laughs> terrible looks. Um, so be, be nice, you know, uh, to the guy doing the slides. It's, it's a hard job. It's difficult. So um, I got you, Paul. I got you. So. Uh, no, my name is Mikey. Uh, I do the youth ministry at Seven Rivers Church, and I did do a Sunday school this morning, uh, which was awesome, um, with some high schoolers. And uh, I love I love working with middle school and high school students. I'm married uh, to Emily, and I have two boys, Trip and Luke. And I'll share a little bit about all three of them um, this morning. But figured I'd introduce them before I randomly name drop them uh, throughout the sermon. But before I jump into God's Word, um, I want uh, to ask you guys a few questions. I want, I want you to think a little bit about what you're ashamed of. Um, what are the things uh, that come to your mind um, that you regret, uh, that you wish you didn't do or say, um, that if you could go back, you would change or fix? Um, what are the things uh, that every single time um, you are with a pastor or with a family member um, or you're with your friends or family and you th thought, if they knew only what I was thinking, if they knew um, only what I have done, that these people would never be able to say to me, I love you. I love you. Um, what are the things that disqualify you um, from hearing the words, I love you? Um, what, are, uh, what are the things that when you hear someone say, I love you, to you, that you go, actually, well, you don't really, because if you knew me, you would never. Um, what are the secrets that you have hidden um, that you've never shared before? Um, what are those things um, that are present in your life um, that speak to you and whisper into your ear that you are unlovable, um, irredeemable, um, not worthy of being saved or rescued? And so with that... Um, I would like for us um, to read Luke 15, and I'm actually just going to read verses 11 through 24. Um, I'm actually I'm going to do this horrible thing with the story of the prodigal son. I'm going to cut it short, um, and so um, forgive me for that, um, uh, but I hope that it will make more sense to you why I do that um, and why I'm just going to focus on these verses throughout the sermon. So if you're able, would you please stand with me, um, and let's read um, Luke 15, 11 through 24. Um, this is God's word. It's more important than the words that I will speak or say. Um, it's more important than anything else that we'll say. Uh, so listen to them. It lasts forever. Um, it, will, it will last much longer um, than anything that we will ever say or write. Um, here's God's word. Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pig pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father.
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. This is God's word spoken to you. You can take a seat. So I work um, with high school students and middle school students, um, and I have a lot of students um, who don't have a father that's present in their life. Um, and one of my students, um, his name's Caleb, uh, he's graduated now, he's in college. Uh, he's never met his father. He's never met his dad. Uh, when he was born, uh, he was abandoned by his dad, him and his mom. Uh, he left and ran away from them. Caleb has grown up and graduated from high school and still to this day um, does not know him. And I remember being on a mission trip with Caleb. We were in St. Louis, Missouri. We were doing a devotion on the prodigal son. And Caleb, uh, I noticed, was weeping. And so I pulled him aside and I asked him, what's going on? Um, what's happening? Um, how are you feeling? What's happening in your heart right now? And he said, how can I know that God loves me? How can I know that he is a good father who wants me when the only father I have ever had left me? How can you know that God loves you? Does God love you? Before I read the scriptures uh, to you, uh, I asked you, what are you ashamed of? Does that disqualify you from the love of God? You and I, we struggle to believe that the Father loves us. Often we believe that he doesn't love us. Often we believe that he's a boss with his arms crisscrossed and a frown on his face looking down on us saying, I wish you were more. I wish you could do more. I wish you were better. I wish you were greater. Often maybe we even think of um, you know, God as this aloof man that doesn't care at all about our lives and who we are and what we do and wouldn't care whether we died today or died tomorrow or uh, just made a million dollars or was completely broke on the side of the road. He just does not care. And so what we're going to look at in Luke 15, 11 through 24, is this idea that the Father does love you. And there's three reasons that I want to offer to you guys why. And the first one is that he lets you leave. And the second one is he waits for you. And the third one is that he wants you. So the first is God lets you leave. The Father lets you leave. The younger son comes to his dad and says, give me my inheritance. Pretty much saying, I wish you were dead. I wish you were gone. I, have, I want nothing to do with you. I want what is mine, what I would get if you were to die. And then I want to take that and I want to go use it for whatever I want to use right now. And he goes to his father and he pretty much communicates this to his father. And his father, his response is what? No. His, his response isn't, no, I'm not going to let you do that. No, I'm not going to give you that. Is sure, have it. Here is what is yours. Um, here is half of the wealth, half of the property, half of the land, half of everything that I have. It's yours. Go, use it, take it. Some of you in this room have experienced the pain of letting a child go. Maybe your child has grown up and gone to college. Uh, and maybe you remember very well the day that you dropped them off um, at school. Um, it was hard. Maybe you have little kids and uh, it's, you know, they're in preschool and it's their first day of kindergarten. 
and you take them to school and, and you're in the car and you drop them off and then you get back in the car and you have tears streaming down your face because they're growing up, because you're letting them leave. Maybe some of you guys have kids um, who have run away from the faith, have deconstructed their faith, have publicly come out and said, I no longer uh, call myself a Christian. Just recently, one of my students from St. Louis, when I was doing youth ministry up there, um, literally in the past week or two, uh, publicly posted on Instagram that she no longer identifies as a Christian, but would like to publicly announce that she has deconstructed her faith and has walked away. Some of you maybe have experienced the letting go of a child in the sense of you've lost a child. You've experienced um, the feeling of actually um, watching your child pass away. Um, maybe that was a miscarriage. Um, maybe that was the pain of um, actually having someone die. I remember um, when I was in kindergarten, uh, the first day of kindergarten, I was so confused why my mom was crying. I didn't understand at all. Um, she was letting me leave. I remember uh, when my parents uh, dropped me off at Florida State. I remember trying to keep it together and pretend like I wasn't sad. Uh, but I remember as they drove away, I went to my room and I wept because I didn't want to leave them. And I know as well that they were sad too. We didn't want to leave each other. And I remember when my grandma was in hospice um, and it was the last time I was ever going to talk to her. And sitting with her in the room and holding her hand um, and singing, um, you know, Good Christian Soldier, so that song um, with her. Um, I remember uh, that conversation and I remember weeping with her uh, thinking that this is the last time I'm going to be with my grandma. I'm going to have to let her go. I'm going to have to walk out of this room. How do you do that? How is it possible to leave? How is it possible to let people leave? Why is it so hard to let go? When we let people leave, we experience pain. And the pain is that feeling of loss, that something is missing. And the reason that we feel that feeling of loss is that there is a presence of love deeply rooted at the very bottom of it all. There's a letting go of something you love. The father does not know if you'll ever see his son again. He's letting him go. He's giving him half the inheritance. He doesn't know if you'll ever see his son again. The father knows that this moment is likely their last. And instead of holding on, he lets go. Why does he let his son leave? Because he loves his boy. Because he loves him. In the Garden of Eden, at the beginning of time, we have Adam and Eve. God does not force Adam and Eve to love him, nor does he force them to obey him. But he loves them whether they eat of the forbidden tree or not. He loves them enough to let them stay in the garden or to let them choose to walk away, to leave. All of us, just like Adam and Eve, have chosen to leave. We've chosen to rebel and eat of the forbidden tree. We've chosen to sin, and we've taken our inheritance, our gracious giving of the Father, giving us life, giving us his image. We've taken that, and we've squandered it. We've taken it to the far country, and we've lived recklessly with it. We've done things that we regret and are ashamed of. We've done things that we wish that we could take back. We're eating the slop with the pigs. And some of us right now, or maybe many of us, feel absolutely irredeemable. Feel like we've gone too far. Feel like we're too messy to possibly come to God. You may feel like you don't belong in church. 
You might feel like if your friends and family members knew everything about you, they would reject you. You feel gross and you feel unlovable. But what we see in the story of the prodigal son is the father's love is not based on whether you leave or stay, but it's there no matter what. The father's love is always present. The father's love is not based on you, but on him. And he loves you enough that even if you leave, he still loves you. How do we know this? We know it because he waits. He waits for you. He waits for you to come home. And so that's my second point I would like for you guys to see in the passage, is that the, father, um, love, that the father's love is revealed because he waits for you. When the younger son left home, the father waited for him, not knowing whether his son would come back. It actually says in the passage that um, he thought his son was dead. He thought his son was gone. You know, they experienced a famine, had come across the land, and, you know, not only was he experiencing it in his own household, the father, but he knew that his son was out there experiencing it. And so he didn't know if his son had made it, if his son was going to survive that. And he was worried for him. And so it says he thought his son was lost, he thought his son was dead, but now he's found, now he's alive. And so he, he was waiting and he was looking for um, his son to come home. The father wants you to come back home. He will always wait for his son, even until the very end. And why does he wait? Because it's his boy. It's his blood. His son is his. It has nothing to do with what the son has done or not done, but everything to do with the love of the father. So to the lost daughters and lost sons in the room who feel unlovable, do you realize that someone right now is waiting upon you, is waiting for you, is offering his hand and saying, come back? To the ones in the room who feel gross and ashamed, do you realize that there is someone who is inviting you to eat at his table, to eat a meal with him, even though you smell, even though you're covered in mud, even though your clothes are tattered and you have holes in your shoes. He wants to spend time with you. He waits on you. Some of the most loving things I've ever seen in my life are people waiting upon each other. I think of uh, one of the elders that I had at my church in St. Louis. His name was Jim Armbrecht. He had a wife um, who had dementia, and he waited upon her every single day. He would go visit her um, in the nursing home. He would eat breakfast with her, lunch and dinner. He would watch her favorite TV shows with her. And the whole time, she had no idea who this man was. The whole time. And yet he just waited upon her. He waited for the moment when she would have clarity for just a brief minute or two where she would realize that this is my husband, who I love, and I adore, but whether she would come to that conclusion or not, whether she would have that clarity or not, Jim was there every day, just waiting on her, waiting for her, waiting with her, because Jim's wife is his beloved, and even though she had forgotten him, he had not forgotten her. I think one of the things uh, one of the things here um, is really difficult, too, to think about is, is, is if you've lost um, someone to death, I think of how it's odd that if you have ever experienced losing a loved one, uh, that their time away on earth, actually, it feels like waiting, right? 
for whatever reason, we feel like we're waiting for them. Even though we know that we're never going to see them on this side of heaven, it's like we're waiting, though. It's like, ah, I feel like they're just going to walk in the door at any moment, and we're just going to have a meal together again. Oh, I feel like they're just going to walk in on Christmas Day, and they're gonna, we're going to do our traditions together, and they're going to be Santa Claus and, and do the normal gift-giving thing, and it's going to be completely normal again. It's really eerie how that feels. It feels like waiting. And I think the reason why it feels like waiting is because there's still love. You still love them, even though they're gone. You still care about them, even though they're gone. You've never stopped loving them, and you never will stop loving them. You're waiting for them. You're waiting. The father in the story is waiting on his son because he has not stopped loving him. And he waits because maybe one day his son will come home. Dear sinner, dear child, dear ones who are eating with the pigs, the father is not at home thinking, I'm so glad you are gone. He's not thinking, I'm so glad you're out of my life. These are lies from the devil. No, the father is at home looking out into the horizon every morning and every evening, waiting for his child to come back because he wants his children and he wants you. So my third point is that the father wants you. The youngest son returns home to his father. And what does he expect, right? He comes to the conclusion, hey, I'm eating, you know, I'm with the pigs. I'm so hungry. You know what? I would rather just go back home to my dad and I will just say I'm sorry. And then I would ask him to hire me as a servant and I will just work as his slave. That's much better than eating with the pigs because I'll be with my father. The youngest son returns home expecting to become one of the father's slaves. He knows that he's sinned against his dad. He's convicted of that. He knows that he has forfeited his right to being his son. He believes in his heart that there's no way that his dad would ever love him again. But maybe, just maybe, he'll still let him in and be a servant, a slave. But the story does not go this way. This is why it's such a powerful story. Because of the response of the father when he sees his son coming home. What does he do? He runs to him. He hugs him and kisses him. The father had every right to say, shame on you. Leave this place. You've already taken what is yours. Go. But that's not what the father does. He has every right to do that. He would be just in doing that. But he chooses to run to him, hug him, and kiss him. He chooses to clothe him and give him a ring and throw a feast. He is celebrating that his son is home because that is all that he wants. He wants his children. He wants you. It has nothing to do with whether you have left or stayed. It has nothing to do with what you can do for him or not. It has nothing to do with what you've done against him or for him. It has everything to do with who he is. This is the Father. He is your Father. This will not change. I have two boys, Tripp and Luke. I love them. No matter what they do or say, how they act will change the fact that I love them. I think about this, and I'll share this with my middle school and high school students. I'm like, what have my children done to deserve my love? All they have done is filled dirty diapers, they've, they've eaten all my food, 
and then they cry constantly for more um, over and over again. All they've done is stolen my sleep. Um, all they've done is made me worried and anxious constantly, but yet I love them. They've given me every reason to want to put them up for adoption. <laughs> They've given me every reason to want to drop them off and be like, hey, someone else take and raise this kid. Um, and, and they give me every reason to uh, turn away from them. But I love it. I love everything about it. I love every single moment. I am going to weep like a baby when they go to kindergarten. I'm going to weep like a baby when they go to college because I'm not getting the opportunity to change diapers anymore. Okay? They're not waking me up in the middle of the night. I'm going to miss it, even though I hate it right now. I'm going to miss it. I'm trying to remind myself of that. You'll miss this. <laughs> if they become criminals, if they become outlaws, and you take their DNA, you'll see that they belong to me. If they become millionaires, NFL MVPs, please, Father, let that happen. <laughs> NBA All-Stars, come on now. And they take their DNA, they'll see they belong to me. They are my sons, and I love them. Not because of anything they've done, but because they are simply mine. God our Father is love. It is rooted in him, not in you. No condition. He lets you leave. He waits for you. And he lets you come back. This is what his love looks like over and over again. It's a mess. It's an absolute mess. And it's, it's a mess because of you. But he wants it. Because he loves you. Because you're his children. About a month before I was supposed to get married, I tried to call my wedding off. I was eating with the pigs. I was struggling. I was depressed. I felt like if my fiancée, Emily, d knew everything about me, that there was no possible way that she would be able to say I do on our wedding day. I had secrets uh, that she did not know, and I felt like if she knew those secrets, then she would never be able to love me. As the wedding approached, I felt tortured by my secrets and my sin. I felt eaten alive on the inside. I'm like, I have to tell her. She has to know. I couldn't bear to stand on my wedding day and say I do to her and know that she was saying I do to me and knowing that she didn't know everything about me. So I decided to come clean. I called her on the phone at the time we were living long distance um, separated and I confessed my sins and my hidden secrets. It was the scariest moment of my life. And then I suggested at the end of the conversation, I said, let's, uh, let's call it off. Um, I remember sharing with her everything. I remember feeling incredibly gross and ashamed. And as I finished my confession, I said, don't marry me. You need to call this off. You should get as far away from me as possible. In which Emily uh, was silent for a few seconds. It felt like minutes. And then Emily said something that changed my life. She responded and said, Mikey, I'm not marrying you because of you. But I believe in Jesus. And he loves you so much, and so do I. So let's get married. And on December 29th, in the morning, Emily said, I do to me. Emily married me. She forgave me, and she wanted me. And during our wedding, we sang the song, How Deep the Father's Love. And I wept. I wept because she was showing me how deep God's love was for me. I was witnessing it experiencing it in the flesh. 
sinners, how can you know that God loves you? The only way to find out is to come back to God. To come back to Him with your sin and with your filth, with your shame and your regrets. And say, Dad, I'm sorry. I have sin. And then wait and see what He shows you. What will He do in response to your sin, to your shame? As someone who has done this very thing, who has come to the Father, I know that if you confess your sins to God, that you, will be not, you won't be met with judgment. I know that you will not be met with judgment. I know that you will not be met with condemnation. But rather you will be met with a hug and a kiss. Because you have an older brother. Because you have an older sibling who has gone before you and chased after you. There's an older brother in this story. We, we haven't gotten to his part. But the older brother in this story grows resentful, angry, and upset. In the, um, in the East, uh, they have children, and when they have children, uh, the oldest child goes west. And they go west uh, to go to college, and they get, everyone puts all their money into them to go to college. And this older sibling, they go to college, and then they get a job, and they make money. And then what they do is these, these, um, these children, these oldest siblings, they'll take the money, and they'll send it back and wire it back east um, to their siblings and to their families. And you know what those families say about their oldest child? They're our, they're our hero. They're our rescuer. They're our savior. They have saved our family. They have gone and they've left and they've gone to the West and they've made money and they're giving it back. We need an older brother to go and save us, to make a way for us, to give us life, to rescue us from our poverty, to rescue us from our sin. The reason why you will not be met with condemnation and judgment it's because you have an older brother who's paid it all for you, who's paid the price, who has earned all the money, has given it all away to you. He's given up his place so that you can come back home. He's given up his inheritance so that you can have it all. He's given up his life so that you can have eternal life. And he's given up his sonship, his place at home with the Father so that you can have a home with his dad, so that you can be God's child. There's a small river town in Indiana where they dredge out the river um, and they create these mounds um, on the banks of these rivers. And kids love to play, with them, play on them and, and play all kinds of games on these mounds. But they're dangerous, okay? They're these big dunes, sand dunes of, of dirt and sand. And the reason why they're dangerous is because they fill up with air. And, and they have air pockets. And if your child or if someone were to hit an air pocket, they would sink to the bottom of the mound and, and suffocate under the sand and dirt. And so um, there are these two boys who live in this town, an older brother and a younger brother, um, an older son and a younger son, and they go out to play, and they tell their mom that they would be back by dinner. And they go out and they play, and they're having a good time. Um, but sure enough, dinner comes, and the mom realizes they haven't come home in time. And she waits a little bit, and she realizes they still have not returned. And it gets dark, and she realizes, I need to get the neighbors and, and the police involved, and we need to search um, for these boys. And so they all begin searching throughout the whole town. 
uh, for um, these two boys, uh, but they, they end up not finding them. And then they think, oh, we should go to the mounds, to the dunes, and, and look for the boys um, there. And sure enough, um, to their horror, they find uh, one of the boy's head sticking out a little bit, and they're hoping that he's still alive. And so they go, and they dig him out, and they pull him out, and they grab him, and they're holding him. And, and he's breathing, and they're asking him, where's your older brother? Where's your older brother? They, they, they pull out the younger brother. They're like, where is he? Where's your older brother? And as the younger brother comes through, he says, I was standing on my older brother's shoulders. You and I have an older brother who lets us stand on his shoulders. You and I, because of our sin, because of our rebellion, face condemnation and judgment. And Jesus says, stand on my shoulders and have life. That older brother would die so that his younger brother could live. Our older brother, Jesus, dies so that you and I can live. The reason why I know that the Father loves you is because of Jesus. It is his sacrifice that convinces me and should convince you and must convince you of how deep the Father's love is for you. And may his love lead you home. And may his love lead you to the arms of your dad. This is how you can know that God loves you. It's Jesus. Let me pray for you guys.